All right, so chapter five, it, amazing, insightful chapter on, on the Zion Jerusalem level. Um, let's start off with the three tests of loyalty. I think that that one's a great one to kind of springboard us off onto a good discussion here. So um, looking at page 151, just kind of starting off there and, and seeing where we uh, head to. So. Um, we have these three tests. We have a political dictatorship, the idolatry test, and the ostracism by ecclesiastical authorities. So in what ways have you seen these three tests play out for us um, as a global church and then individually? Have we experienced any of these um, on our personal basis? Or do you think that they're kind of an ongoing test? What are, what are your thoughts on uh, these three tests of loyalty to God? Are they, are they global? Are they individual? Are they Abrahamic? What you got? Um, well, I think the materialism and se sensual gratification, it's part of that pride cycle, right? So it's just naturally built in as we become more righteous and the Lord blesses us then we, and we, we watch that all throughout the Book of Mormon too. Mm -hmm. Then we become more material and, um, and seek after those things that are more worldly, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And that's the test. And um, I guess part of what we're here for is to learn not to fall into that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And that's a, a test in and of itself, just <laughs> <laughs> not to, to succumb to that all the time because I find myself passing that test sometimes not passing it others <laughs> and really it is a test because you think oh um I worked for that I earned it mm -hmm. do you know what I mean or this will be something that our family can use and enjoy and in the meantime there's others that are in want. Mm -hmm. So it's a balance between um, I, I'm not sure how to say it. How much do I give? And it, and sometimes it's enabling, right? And it's and and how much do I enjoy myself and build the family? And I don't know. It's really it can be a real trial. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's a, a very slippery slope to become idolatrous or, or prideful in in those blessings. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Cameron. Remember. Uh -huh. Let's go with Cindy and then uh, Stefan, I think, was the one that popped on. Yeah. Um, I just like how on the next page, um, Giliotti just summed it up into three words. Death deprivation or rejection and when you put it simply like that it's like okay is this more important to me than following god is living without this which is more important i need this i need this or you know what they're not gonna like me i'm not gonna like we talked about last time you know sometimes we don't dress the same or or we don't keep up the standards of people around us but if we're pleasing Heavenly Father, that's the most important thing. It all goes, I liked how with those three words, it was just like, okay, what's most important? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Where where are those three words? Um, I think one fifty two. Yeah, I'm looking there. Uh... I thought it was on that page too. Just a second. I remember highlighting it. Uh... Yeah. I'll keep looking if you want to listen to Stefan. Yeah. I was just going to say, uh, I remember the words of Brigham Young when he said, you know, one of the biggest problems that the saints in Utah are going to have is going to be material wealth. And I see that starting to play out now. Yeah. Uh, but with what's going on here. And it's also spreading, though. It's not just in Utah. I think it's spreading throughout the church. At least yeah. in the United States. I don't know yeah. about other countries, but at least in the United States. Yeah. So my uh, daughter got home today off of the mission, right? Oh, Our state yeah. pres president was talking to her when she got released tonight. And one thing really struck me strong, which was he said, you know, Heavenly Father puts us on this earth and we're one of our major goals in life is to get to know the Lord and to understand who he is and to live the gospel. And then he said something really unique. He says, and once we have that, then the next goal is to help everybody we can also come to that. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> A very enlightened state president there giving lots of great advice. Yeah. I'm still trying to find that, um, those three words. I, I know I had them here. I don't know. <laughs> I know I highlighted lots of words on that, but those three, that's why I was like, where are they? Because uh -huh. I don't remember them. Yeah, because I had the same thought that, that Cindy did. Oh, that's a great just a summary, just right there. Boom, boom, boom. But <laughs> I cannot find them for the life of me. Anyway. That's okay. When we find them, we'll find them. <laughs> yeah. And she type them in the chat, the three words, since we can't find them, so we can remember what the three words are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, let's see. So, so death was one of them, right? Uh huh. Yeah, death, deprivation, and, and something else. Yeah, death, deprivation, and rejection. I couldn't help but think about Abraham Gileadi um, having been excommunicated uh, yeah. because of ecclesiastical authorities. And I just thought that was super interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. yeah, that was one of my, my biggest uh, worries about even studying uh, his book was that people would be like, oh, well, let's study an apostate here. He's been excommunicated once or whatever. And I'm like, uh, if we can just move past that. But nobody seemed to, to really balk at it. So I, I'm, I'm glad we didn't believe the rumors and all that kind of stuff. But, um, but his, his uh, excommunication was even expunged from the records. It wasn't mm -hmm. just, it wasn't yeah. just rebaptized. It was expunged. Yeah. It's a little and, different. 
Yeah, and I think it was Bruce McConkey. Somebody quoted this from last time, but I'm paraphrasing. But it, Bruce McConkey said, "Well, he was right all along," kind of thing. Like, yeah, expunged. I, there was no reason to to lump him in with the the September seven. <clears throat> but that's the that's the um, you know the ostracism by by authorities and unrighteous dominion, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we see that that it's a common. I don't know what you want to call it, a plague kind of going through our church and stuff. Anytime that there's somebody speaking higher things or, or whatever, if if they don't back down, we, we just excommunicate them willy-nilly sometimes. You know, like even Jody uh, has been experiencing that. A lot of people are trying to get her excommunicated and it's like, <laughs> she's definitely not off base and, and she's always stating things as her opinion that they're not reflective of the church, obviously. Like, anyway. It... I, I think it has more... There's more to it than excommunication, though. Mm -hmm. um, when I was growing up, actually, I was out of the house when this happened. But like a lot of you, I didn't have the best childhood growing up. And I was away at school when my dad tried to kill my sister by having her in a knee lock around the neck. And um, my sister barely escaped. And my mom called the bishop and said, I'm done. I'm leaving. I'm done. And he said, now, Sister Barnes, you need to talk to the state president who told her, how do you expect to get to the celestial kingdom without your husband? And she stayed with him. And for, I don't know, another decade or more. And I think that's unrighteous dominion. I mean, that was absolutely false doctrine that, that she said, he told her, this is the man that will get you to the celestial kingdom. And I think there's other ways besides excommunication, and I'm sure other people have experienced similar stories, but it's not just excommunication. It's, mm -hmm. it's yeah. that unrighteous. I don't know. That's just unrighteous. That state president did go on to serve as mission president. My brother-in-law's friend had him, said it was horrible experience, and that mission president and my state president, same person, actually was eventually excommunicated for adultery. So it was kind of funny, but he wouldn't let his wife not attend. They had, she was always pregnant. They ended up with 10 kids, 12 kids. He was um, Relief Society president back in the days we had homemaking meeting. She was not allowed to miss homemaking meeting unless she got her husband's permission. I mean, that's unrighteous dominion, right? There's lots of different ways that we have unrighteous dominion by our authorities than just execution, uh, excommunication, maybe just persecution in other ways. Yeah, for sure. So that brings up the question of why do you think the Lord allows that to happen in his restored gospel, in his true church? Why do some people, imperfect as, as they are, get called to leadership positions, especially higher up ones where we hold them on, on pedestals kind of thing? Like, to to try our faith and, and uh, to uh, allow us to experience some of that stuff. It, it's just an interesting question. I, I know that I had a hard time with that when I was uh, little growing up and, you know, uh, some of those recent things where that, that bishop in wherever in Utah was uh, with a sex trafficking ring, et cetera. It's just like, how how does that fit in God's plan? Why Why... Why doesn't he stop that if this is like true revelatory 
inspiration callings, how, how does that work? And, and how do we wrestle that? How do we explain that to people and, and not um, hinder their progress up this ladder based upon others' failings on their own ladders? Oh, oh Cindy, go ahead. Sorry. Okay, I said to unmute myself. Well, my husband's standing right here and he's kind of listening. He's usually in bed by now. <laughs> and so he's giving his two cents. So I'll kind of give his two cents. But um, he, he was, and, and I agree with him that it's really, it's all about agency. I mean, the Lord gives, the Lord gives people chances and, um, you know, different callings to try and help them to learn and to grow. But ultimately, it's their agency that they have. And Heavenly Father is not going to take away their agency. And, um, you know, sometimes we just have to, that, that agency, that use of agency is what tries our faith. But, but it is really all about people using their agency. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, thank you. So we'll go with Stefan and then Joanne. Oh, yeah, just to build on that, Cindy. My mission was in Austria, Germ uh, not Germany, but Austria. And I spoke to people who uh, knew the SS men and Hitler and that sort of thing. And we were posed this question all the time. If there's a God, then why would God let so many bad things happen in the world, right? Yeah. But we built a special discussion off at Second Nephi 2 which basically said just that, that, you know, the one thing that we're put here on earth uh, to do uh, is the fact that we have agency and Heavenly Father allows us to have agency and that we are all responsible for our own actions and not somebody else's actions. Thank goodness, right? Mm -hmm. And it comes down to being whether someone's right or wrong. At the end of the day, that's not an excuse for what we do. We have to live according to our own dictates. We have to live according to our own spirit. And I can't help but to think what President Nelson has taught us in these latter days. And that is, there will come a time where if you are not able to be uh, guided uh, and have that relationship with the Holy Ghost, you simply are not going to make it. And I believe that that's really important for us in these latter days. Uh, and I'll go right back to my state president today. I looked at my daughter and said, you know, missions are great, but, you know, this world has changed. And he told her that point blank, and it's not going to be easy. But then again, I do want to share this with the group. He said, I'm going to give you four things. If you do these four things, I will promise you that after all the dust settles, you're going to be okay. And it's really interesting. And we've heard these from at agnosium, most of them. Read the Book of Mormon every day. He said, that's easy for you to right now say as a missionary returning. Yeah, right, that's easy. But he said, there's gonna come a time where you won't, for some reason or another, won't be reading the Book of Mormon every day. Trust me, that's critical. And he said, even if the Book of Mormon in the next world is there, you should be reading it every day. Interesting comment. Next one, every week go to the sacrament. Uh, next one, temple recommend. I don't care if his temple is open or not, have recommend. The fourth one blew me away. He, and he said, this is from David O. McKay. He said, if you will pay your tithing consistently, 
He said, I have never talked to a person who has fallen, fallen away from the church who has not stopped paying the tithing. And he said, he said, if you will do those four things and do them consistently, I will promise you that when the dust settles, you will still be standing and you will be faithful to the church. Those are great. I, yeah, I, I agree with those. We, you know, agnosium sometimes, but, but how key they, they really are. All right, yeah, let's go with Joanne. Okay, so I'm, I'm behind the game because I, I just read chapter four so and, and didn't get all the way through chapter five, but I'm just remembering. So it talked a lot about, or what I got out of it. I mean, we have to have the opposition, right? We, we need opposition in order to ascend. We have to have that. So, I mean, everyone has their choice, but, you know, we know that there's a lot of people in the church that are going to fall away. And, you know, whether or not they have leadership positions, I mean, that's their time to prove where they're, whether they're going to ascend or descend. And some of them, descend and the fact that we need to descend before we ascend so we can ascend even higher so i'm just trying to take all that in um you know any anybody that wants to add to that but we need we need the wicked in order order to ascend right yeah and sometimes the the wicked um, come from our own families or our own congregations or our, our loved ones because it needs to be a, a deep wound, a deep hurt in order to um, have us go through our own descent phase to ascend and, and all of that. Sometimes it, it really hits close to home and, and we're seeing it. Well, I um, think we see a lot of, I mean, the most opposition from those that are closest to us in a lot of times. Mm -hmm. the most so yeah i mean i was just i i think um after reading chapter four i thought oh yeah absolutely that we need we need those people because we're not i mean those that are easy to love what's the challenge in that mm -hmm. we have to learn to love those that are hardest to love and sometimes that's leaders that aren't following you know the spirit or family members that aren't you know whatever that may be that's part of our challenge and part of our testament another thing i thought was so interesting was that the people that are are i mean we're all born into different situations and some have a lot to overcome yeah. you know um was it aletha that was saying you know what her her family life i mean think of president nelson and his family life his parents didn't get sealed in the in the temple to him until they were 80 years old so you know it's it's we just go from where we are and try to move forward and sometimes we're going to go down before we can ascend and and i know that's hard to see you know people that aren't really following or you know being christ-like and mm -hmm. it could be our leaders <laughs> yeah for sure and, and that leads right into page 142 uh, before we, we go there, I want to catch up on, on chat here. So uh, Cindy found those those uh, three words, the death, deprivation, rejection, on page 155 down towards the bottom. 
And then um, she quotes that as they repudiate every power that rivals God, they conquer their fear of death, deprivation, and rejection. Um, but yeah, uh, what we're saying here, one thing that really struck me hard was uh, the middle of 142, where it says um, that we shouldn't be judging and, and everything because everybody's on different levels of the ladder. They have different challenges and, and stuff, and we can't um, uh, judge. But treating unkindly someone who is down could cause him to abort his rebirth. And, and that struck me like so hard, like, oh my gosh, how many times might I be in danger of doing that with, with somebody else, uh, judging unrighteous judgment, etc.? Or how many times has that been done to me and, and uh, or could happen to me and, and I have to be strong enough not to uh, abort my rebirth just because someone might be uh, judging me unkindly in a situation. But I, I don't know, that, that just struck me so hard, especially in this context of uh, our leaders. Some of them are, like it said somewhere in this chapter, some of them are, are wolves in sheep's clothing, you know, uh, leading the, the flock astray. But some of them are just imperfect people. And, and you know, we, we can't judge either way. And, and we have to uh, use our own agency for good, ascend the level, uh, ascend the ladder, and um, be in tune with heaven, really. That, that's all there is to it. Uh, if you're in connection with heaven, then, you, then you're always going to be uh, good to, to discern and be able to, um, to, to work out uh, all of the things around you. But yeah, let's go with Alethea. Well, I was actually just going to talk a little bit about what you had just asked about. And it was, we just finished watching The Chosen. Did anybody else watch the, the fourth episode of the chosen where there was the healing at the pools of Bethesda and how he takes up his mat to walk. And then there's the, I don't know, Pharisees, Sadducees, whoever watching, and they walk over to him. You're breaking the law. You're carrying your mat on Shabbat and it's a sin. And he's like, but that man healed me. What man, you know, and they're just so upset that he's breaking the law. And that's kind of sometimes what we deal with, right? That letter of the law and that spirit of the law. And yet the letter of the law was actually man's own law made by the leaders. And do we sometimes get that? Um, which kind of goes along with, with judging, right? Mm -hmm. and, and unrighteous judging. Um, but I loved the way also that it compared it to Job. Yeah. And, and how people judged Job, but he ended up ascending because he didn't let that bother him. So that's the flip side of that coin, not judging, but then when we're the one that judges, how do we react, right? Yeah. Yeah, and how do we overcome that so that uh, we don't have that unrighteous judgment or whatever we've done to actually cause us to fall even further and, but to that we work through it and, and repent and, and everything. Yeah. Cause when we're unrighteously judged, then what we show is pride. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, and then that lowers us rather than helping us ascend. Yeah, exactly. But I, I love this uh, idea of Job. I mean, I have dabbled with, with Job and, and his story, but I've never fully understood it in this kind of a level in this context of the uh, decent before ascent. I was kind of wondered in the back of my head, why would God allow 
Satan to to do all of those things all at once to to one person, etc. What kind of, I mean, yes, I, I get that that God's perfect and, and He's always going to to work in our best interest, but I didn't understand it. But now looking through the levels and um, looking where Job ends up after, of course, he had to go through all of that. But when we're experiencing covenantal curses in our lives, uh, they're sometimes not of our own doing, but they're uh, the process by which we can ascend. Sometimes they are of our own doing, but um, it, it's just interesting. I It was a big aha moment for me, uh, looking at Job as an example of that. So that reminds me of the story of Brigham Young and Joseph Smith. When Joseph Smith basically was uh, telling Brigham that, you know, that wasn't right and really was testing him and Brigham finally, instead of having pride because he was being questioned, he basically said to Joseph, he said, so what else would you have me do, Joseph? And at that point, he completely submitted to Joseph Smith as the prophet. And then you see that he passed that test and that he became, of course, what? That prophet. Yeah. Thank you. And then Alethea. So as the part that I struggle with reading all this, and you asked us this the first night, is where are you? Because as you look at Job, don't you guys look at your life and you're like, I don't have that. I haven't had that. I haven't had, I don't know. Am I just optimistic that I don't see trials as trials or are our trials not as hard? I just, can we talk about that? Like, do we see our descending as descents? And I don't know. Do you guys know what I'm asking? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because are, are our descents not as low as prophets or I don't know. And then can we not ascend? And does that mean we can't ascend in this life to the seventh ladder, the seventh heaven? Do you? I'm just wondering. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> lots of great questions in there. That, those are, are all fun topics. So um, going off of that, I, I do want to talk about like the new names on each level of the ladder, because I think that, that plays a lot into it. But um, uh, what you said there, like, do we not experience the same kind of uh, descents and stuff? Uh, Job was was faithful. God knew that Job was going to make it out of it. You know, he he knew and just like Abraham, you know, God knew Abraham's heart and that he was going to make it out of this, but it was more a test for Abraham. This was more a test for Job. And, and ours are similarly that, that same way. I think that we need to learn something about ourselves um, in, in this process. And oftentimes I've, um, <laughs> my mom can attest to it. She's uh, I, I'm always telling her, I don't think I'm being tested. Like uh, it, things are just easy and stuff. And she's like, look at your life. It's pretty hard. Like you went through this, you went through this, you went through this. And I'm like, oh yeah, I did. But uh, with hindsight, it you can kind of see some of the tests, but I also know deep down that there's more coming and they're going to be harder. And I've just been kind of going through some of the, the lower things so far in order to prepare me for those those future depths that, that I might be taken down. And I think that plays a lot into like these three levels of 
uh, or three tests of loyalty that it talks about here. It's like, I, I don't think I'm anywhere near those three main ones that I'm going to experience in my life. And, and I'm, I'm prepping actively for those and how that works and what that's going to look like. And so that when those do come, that are going to be excruciatingly painful and, and difficult and hard to bear, like they're going to be a burden, but to actually rise through those, I think is going to be, um, uh, the Abrahamic level test kind of thing. But I'm, I'm going through these lower levels. I'm like, okay, you can, you can turn up the intensity a little bit because <laughs> I'm not feeling it. <laughs> but yeah. If anybody else has, has anything to, to say on that, I, I want to talk about the, the new names uh, after that. I think if we rely on God, it makes our trials seem not as hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of like some examples in the Book of Mormon, right? Like uh, that the Lord actually, he didn't remove their burdens, but he made them light so that they could could bear them easier and, and still have joy. Uh, I think that that's an interesting principle too, having joy during major adversities and, and trials in our lives and, and not shrinking. Um, Bednar has talked about Maxwell and, and that whole principle. I just don't want to shrink. You know, I'm, I'm going through some hard stuff, but as long as I don't succumb to it, as long as I don't shrink, that's that's an important principle. I just feel like I really, really want to share about my arm. Yeah. Um, Which I'm surprised you're here. Didn't you just have your surgery like Monday? Surgery. I had surgery two days ago. <laughs> it took me five, four hours to get out of anesthesia. I was so... It, I don't know. They said usually it only takes 30 minutes, but when I woke up at 30 minutes, they kind of roused me and they said, how much pain do you have? And I said, none. And they said, okay. I didn't find out till today that my, I actually had a buckle. I had four fractures, but one of them was buckled. And that's why I needed the plate. And it's a gruesome, gross, traumatic surgery. And I was terrified because we never had anything like this happen in our family. This was the first like really big accident we've had with four boys. Um, but I, my husband gave me a blessing the morning before surgery. And um, I also have to say that I kept thinking, why can't I, why can't the Lord heal me? And then I went to sleep Sunday night listening to, is it Pettit, that history of the come follow me. And he talked about two women uh, on the pioneer trail. One got bitten by a rattlesnake and they were a mile ahead of everyone else. And they sent a boy back and they, the priesthood came and they were cutting her wound open. And she was really not well. And finally she said, just give me a blessing and I'll be fine. And they did, and she was. And then another story was that other widow had the wagon roll over her hips. She was underneath the wagon sleeping and didn't hear that they were going to start rolling. And it rolled over her hips and broke both her hips. That somebody saw her, pulled her out, but didn't get her out far enough before it rolled over her ankles. We're talking 4,000 pounds. She had two broken hips and two broken ankles. And she said, just give me a blessing and I'll be fine. And two days later, she was walking. And I'm like, why can't that happen to me? I don't want this surgery, but um, 
I did go into surgery. I have no pain and everything. My husband was supposed to have a medical procedure done on Tuesday, the day after my surgery, just a routine thing. So he had blocked off his busiest day, work day, work day of the week. And he was home that day with me. I can't tell you how many things have aligned. I have less pain now than I did before surgery. I've only taken two Tylenol and one Naproxen at 11 o'clock this morning. That's it for pain. I have, I feel so blessed that my arm was broken and I would not change a single thing in this incident. While it was traumatic and it was scary, I have felt Heavenly Father walk beside me every instant, every step of the way and how much he's blessed me. And although it wasn't removed, I have felt so much peace. And also I wanna share that my husband, when he gave me the blessing, I had kind of a impression or vision. I was completely paying attention, but I felt like that I need to write a letter to the family whose dogs chased me and I need to let them know what happened. And then I need to testify to them of all the blessings that I've received and how grateful I am for that experience and for their dogs chasing me and causing this to happen. So, and that's what I'm saying is, well, who said it that you have joy when you have joy, that was you, Shannon, when you have joy, it makes your trials light. I mean, I just, I can't tell you how blessed I feel. I have no pain. Two days later, I have not, I have hydrocodone. I haven't taken one, this whole incident. And um, I have a chip off my bone, another, off the ulna. I have no pain. And I just feel so incredibly blessed for this experience. And I would not have changed it for the world. As terrifying as it was, I would not have changed it. Yeah. Yeah. Those kind of miracles are, are, are just amazing. And, and they happen in our day and age. Um, thank you for, for sharing that. I wasn't um, healed completely. I mean, I wasn't, you know, I, it wasn't taken away. I still had to go through it, but I just think if it had been taken away, like those widows, then I would have missed out on so much. Mm -hmm. and so, Anyways, I'm just really grateful. And I just really wanted to testify of heavenly father's love for each one of us and, and the miracles and the tender mercies. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, just kind of catching up on, on chat. Um, else did a quote by, by Carl Jung saying, thinking is difficult. That's why most people judge, uh, tying into to what we we're talking about before. And Libby says, I totally know what you were asking. I think we deal with such different trials in our day today that weren't even possible in those days because of our covenant blessings, it eases the, the weight of it. And then Cindy says that her audio cut out and she asked if we were, if we talked about the quote, God therefore won't imbue with power a person on the highest levels until like Isaiah, he proves unselfish in keeping the terms of God's covenant. We have not talked about that yet. Um, that, that's a great part of the book. Um, what page is that on? Do you, <laughs> we're asking you for all of the, your, your sources tonight, sorry. I know I highlighted that one too, but trying to find it on the fly is more difficult than <laughs> reading through it. Um, so of 139, okay. 
We need control F in our books so we can find those words like in view. No, I did after last week, I, I bought the, the digital version so that I could do it. I don't have it up right now, but I, I'm going to do that for <laughs> the remainder of the classes so I can uh, do that for, for people so we can look things up. Um, yeah. Here she. Okay, so right in the middle there view until he proves unselfish in keeping the terms of God's covenant. It's kind of like the, the parable of the talents, right? So like he gives us uh, certain stewardships. And then if we're, we're unselfish with those, if we give freely, etc., then he'll give us more. Uh, if not, then he'll, he'll take away, but um, he won't imbue with power a person on the highest levels until they prove unselfish. I find that very interesting. So uh, what we're saying that Anybody with unrighteous dominion is usually on those those lower levels of the ladder, right? Um, they're the higher levels. We, we can trust seraphim. That's why they can minister in, in such great power and and glory. I think. Um, so, why do we receive a new name on each level of the ladder? What purpose does that have for us? Uh, what page was that on? Let's see. Another one where we need to look it up. It was towards the beginning, right? Oh, right right there, 138. Um, it's right in the, the middle of the page. It says that persons on the highest level compare with the stars in the heavens. God calls each by name just as he calls his son's servants by name. And uh, they follow his every command. Each time a person ascends a level, he receives a new name, reflecting a new spiritual phase. So why do you think that is? Why do we receive a new name? And what are our new names on each level of the ladder? Do we know? I was thinking about that a lot, Cameron, and thinking our name at baptism was we take on the name of Jesus Christ. And then when we receive our endowments, we receive a new name in the temple. And that got me thinking, so the second endowment, do we receive a new name? Yeah. I've never heard that. I've heard of the washing and anointing of feet, but never the new name. Mm -hmm. yeah, very know? <laughs> I have my theories, but I want to see what everybody else thinks. <laughs> well, as soon as I said that, everybody shuts up. Sorry. <laughs> so here's how i was looking at it but i you know this is my own opinion i don't know what avraham thinks or anything either but um if we start out life on the jacob slash israel level of the ladder um and we we get our our given name and then on the zion slash jerusalem level is when we receive our endowments and, and make those higher covenants we receive a new name there and where is it that we use both of those names together in the temple, but they're not alone. There's there's two others, right? And do those reflect the next two levels of the ladder, like in their name? Does does that pattern make sense? I don't know. It's my own personal ideas, but may or not, may not be accurate. But exactly like what Cindy says, at baptism we take on the name of Christ, and so that one is a different perspective to, to look at it as well. I, I don't know. And when we receive the, the white stone with a new name, uh, like it says in the book of Revelation, uh, 
uh, does that play into one of the levels on the ladder? Is that like a Urim and Thummim that we receive when we're Seraphim? Or who knows? <laughs> I, I, I have no idea. So then I, that, I have a question about that. Do we, we reach this Zion Jerusalem and we're able to live in the millennium in Zion. Of course, there'll be other people living in Zion as we read. Do we continue to ascend and descend during that millennial time? I don't feel like there's enough time for me to get through all this. <laughs> it's a millennium. And if you look at the very end of the chapter, it talks about how time speeds up, right? And <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're <laughs> there's so many unknown variables here. I don't know, but all I can say is that I know God loves his children. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like time is really running out. And it's like, I don't have time to reach all these levels before the millennium. I feel like I feel like we have eternity to to work our way up. I mean, if we if we make it into the celestial kingdom, then which you know, I mean, if if we're doing what we should, we should make it right, and and we'll have all this time. We'll have eternity to grow and to progress even more. Um, so I feel like we just do our very best that we can here and we'll continue to grow if that's what we want to do, if that's what our intention is and we want to follow Christ and progress, then we will have all eternity to do that. So that's just my, that's my understanding anyway. <laughs> mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't know how many are familiar with uh, the term universalism. Uh, that's a, a very interesting thing to study throughout church history. Uh, some prophets ascribe to it, some people, some of them don't. Um, but Hiram Smith explained it that, um, why do we have the, the moon as a symbol, um, if not to, to solidify our, our perception of universalism? that even after this world, people can progress and, and uh, move up the ladder. Like it's his work and his glory to have all of his children back at some point. And that's what the eternities are for. And that's what the ceiling power is for, so that we have the power to, to go down to the depths of hell and, and bring our wayward children back to uh, help all uh, get to the celestial kingdom because the celestial kingdom is meant for families and how many of our families are in, in the current scheme of things are going to be fully intact not i mean there's always one or two in in every family that that are wayward or not wanting to to be in the celestial kingdom etc and so is that really a plan of happiness to to leave some out just because the the rest want to go but but there's some kicking and, and screaming or kicking against the bricks kind of thing. And so that, that universalist principle to, that's what the eternities are for, to, to make sure that everyone can come back unless they absolutely refuse, which is the, the perdition category. It's just something, food for thought, my opinion, some other people's opinions, uh, something to study. Right. Well, we know that there's missionary work and you know, uh, repentance and, and all that going on in the spirit world. And so if, if people can 
can get baptized and repent and, and be able to uh, receive their endowments after they're dead, then why not be able to progress up the ladder too? You know, it just doesn't make sense that that wouldn't happen. Yeah. So, yeah growth sure. is growth. So. <laughs> yeah. Elle? Well, if we can progress there, what keeps us from saying, well, I'll just not do it here. I can do it there. I mean, that's kind of a, I don't quite understand that. And the scriptures say, be perfect, just as Christ is perfect, you know? So I don't know where to, where, I don't understand how we can, I mean, I understand that we can progress, but I think we have to get to a certain level to get to that progression, don't you think? I mean, you have to get to the celestial kingdom, I think, to continue to progress. If you're in the T-Lester or the Tier-Lester, you've forfeited that opportunity to maybe, uh, the opportunities to continue to grow, maybe? I don't know. That's just a thought. Yeah, for sure. So we'll go Stefan, then Joanne, and then Alethea. Yeah, so... One of the reasons why I joined the church is because of what the church at that point taught me and that was so opposed to Catholicism and Lutheranism, which is what I was raised in. And that is, is that in this life or the next life, no matter who you are, you will have the opportunity to hear the gospel. This is a key part to understand it and to be able to accept it or not. So once again, that that idea and that principle of pre-agency still plays part, right? And so, you know, I mean, everybody will understand and, and want to do what's right. If that's what they want, they can make that happen. And I think that's the beautiful part about Mormonism or about Latter-day Saints, shouldn't say Mormonism nowadays, but... Uh, Latter-day Saints that um, that basically hardly any other church preaches in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. We'll go, Joanne. Okay, I was just going to say um, I don't know what scripture the the how much better off we'll be in the next life for the things that we've attained in this life. So we'll be in a much better position. Um, and how much easier it is to repent with when we have our body. So I've always believed that that thousand years of the millennium is the time that we'll be able to help all of our loved ones or ourselves reach that level that we need to be together for families. I really think, I mean, that we're promised that in the temple when we make covenants we're promised our families. We, I mean that, and if we're keeping our covenants, that Lord has covenanted with us that we will have our families together. That's what the ceiling is all about. So, so I'm hanging on to that because, and I've always thought, you know, the resurrection, the first, the morning of the first resurrection is going to happen when the savior comes, but the very, you know, the end of that thousand years, People will have that much time to repent and, you know, it'll be much better for us to have that at the beginning, right? So that's why we want to do it in this life. We don't want to um, procrastinate our repentance because then, then we'll have to wait that thousand years. But I mean, that's the way I've looked at it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Alethea? That's funny, Joanne. You and I were on the same wavelength because I actually looked it up. It's DNC 13019. And if a oh, person gains more knowledge and intelligence in this life through his diligence and obedience than another, he will have so much the advantage in the world to come. And um, I don't think I talked about it last week, but you know, we we have that first estate and second estate, and we talk about everyone that's come to this this earth kept their first estate, but um, and that's why we gained a body, and that's not really true. I have the quotes written down from the prophets that say that there were people that didn't keep their first estate, but didn't sin away the right to a body. So they did come to this life. And it also talks, they also talk a little bit about how the advantage they got in this life because of that. So um, I I just think that a loving heavenly father is not going to just send us here with a veil and then just say, well, too bad for you. You didn't remember and you didn't follow and you're kicked out or whatever. But I think that he encourages us. He does all he can to help us gain an advantage in this life. And that's where our agency comes in. But I, I agree with you, Cameron. I just, eternity is a measure of time. That's why we're told in the temple, eternities. And I just, I just, it is Heavenly Father's work. And I, I don't think he's like, well, I'm done. My work's done. And then what? He just goes and sits? No, we know that eternity goes on forever. There's the rounds and rounds of eternity. And I don't think he just sits on his laurels and turns his back on his children. Yeah, I think that that's why we have this perfect seven-rung ladder that helps us wherever at, at our own speed and, and however we're willing to, to ascend so that we, we always have the help we need when we need it, uh, when we're wanting it. As soon as we're ready to come to God, he's ready to come to us kind of a thing. Um, and then uh, Cindy says that I love the prophets and apostles also explain not just be perfect, but be complete. We need all eternity to finish ourselves, but yet we uh, want to be climbing the ladder and becoming better, not just stagnating. Yeah, so true. Yeah, and then Alethea, did you raise your hand again? Yeah, I did, because I forgot about, I did see that she said that, and I forgot. Um, Actually, um, in, in Hebrew, have we talked about this? that the word being perfect is somebody that's actively working on their covenants. They are called perfect. It doesn't mean that they are perfect, but I love that because Christ says, be therefore perfect, even as my father in heaven, as your father in heaven is perfect, telling us that he's a covenant keeper. And as long as we are working actively on being covenant keepers, we're perfect. And that's what they call them. Perfect. They're perfect in the gospel. They're perfect because they're working on their covenants. And so I love that. There's no way we're perfect in this life. And I think that's something that, that the traditions of men have brought in or Satan has brought in to keep us feeling like a failure so that we don't work. We can't be perfect. So I'm just giving up. And it's not that it's that we work. It's that it's the process of working on our covenants. It's not just an end thing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Rasin? I've been thinking about 
was it L that said, why work on it now if we can attain to it later? I think that um, part of it is the blessings that we receive now as we are working on our um, eternal salvation. Maybe there are those that, you know, somewhere in some eternity they achieve it, but they've missed so much along the way that they could have enjoyed if they had accepted the gospel, worked on repenting, received covenants, and worked on keeping those covenants, I think that there are a lot of blessings that we, we may not, we, I think there's a lot we don't even understand that we receive. Um, and there's a lot of protection and, and a lot of things that we enjoy because we have the desire and we are doing our best and that we would miss out on if we, you know, wait, we procrastinate working on our salvation. So that's just a thought that I had. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. All right, we're almost out of time. What what final thing would you like to kind of talk about? We uh, have lots of different untouched topics here in, in chapter five, but any last kind of thoughts? What do you want to chat about here for the last little bit. And then it goes quiet for the first time. <laughs> oh, there, there was one where I wrote myopic in the corner because it totally talked about, I got to find it. Mm -hmm. While you're finding that, I just thought it was really interesting that we're blessed from keeping covenants, but then if we don't keep covenants, we're cursed. But what I really mm -hmm. found was interesting, I got get that, but when our enemies work against us keeping covenants, they receive the cursings from not following the covenants. Mm -hmm. I don't know, just the way that was written just really hit me. Yeah, for sure. It, it's kind of like that uh, King Noah principle, or uh, I don't know, you know, like where uh, whatever they do to, to persecute comes around and bites them in the exact same way. Um, some of those covenant cursings there. I found it. It's on oh. Go ahead if you're not done, Cindy. No, I, if anyone wants to, the reference for that is page 161 on the bottom half about the cursing. If the, mm -hmm. the curse has come to those who fight against the people loyal to God. Anyway, thank you. Mm -hmm. So mine was on page 157, that first full paragraph. Uh, it says, people of Zion, Jerusalem, accept all that goes with allegiance to God, including things that are disagreeable, and then skip down. They keep a long-term versus short-term perspective on life. And I just wrote on the side, that's President Mon uh, Monson Nelson. That's what he's trying to teach us is not to be myopic is to have that long-term perspective. And I, I really liked that. Sure. I loved um, the last section starting on 162 to the end, the description of the millennium, um, you know, no evil effects because no one violates the terms of the covenant. Sickness and disease, famine and plagues, poverty and deprivation will be no more. I just... Um, the promises are incredible and it's, 
I just loved that whole vast section. I just finished reading it this morning and um, I had a really cool experience and I've had this experience a lot recently as I've really immersed myself in the scriptures and really taken to heart the prophet's direction to receive personal revelation to pour out your heart and then wait for a message and write it down you know he has really been teaching that and as I've been doing that more and more um, practicing that I have experiences where Heavenly Father will whisper things to me and then it'll come up later in conversation in the day what he said or what I've studied and it's just been amazing and this morning, I, I, was, I do that before I study, and he whispered to me, that, you know, his peace beyond all understanding, and my peace I give unto you. That's the words that came to mind. And then I was reading this last section, and the very last sentence in the postscript, peace beyond all understanding. And that was what exactly what he told me before I even started studying this morning. And so I just have grown such a testimony and faith that heavenly father knows exactly who i am and exactly what i'm doing and exactly what i need to hear and um anyway i just opened the book and saw that last that last sentence and remembered that and thought i would share mm -hmm. thank you so much yeah it, those little postscripts are are, are full of, of, of good little mm -hmm. stuff, but I love uh, your, your testimony there of hearing him and and how important that is for for these last days to know that we are beloved children and that he does know us and will guide us through these these awful uh, tribulations. They don't have to be as awful if we understand and we can have joy throughout the, the trials so that we can help others. I think that that's kind of the, the whole message here is you know, uh, Avraham kind of writes these in a, a chiastic structure, in that descent before us, and he kind of takes us through all the bad stuff, and then then there's the bright hope of um, this this peace beyond or beyond all understanding that, that comes at the end. Yeah, thank you so much. I just want to say how grateful I am for everyone and sharing your experiences and the things that you're doing because. It helps me realize how I can stretch and be, become better and things that maybe I haven't been taught or thought of. And also that your testimonies strengthen me and I'm really, really appreciative. And that's why even when I break my wrist, I still come because I love being with all of you. So thank you so much. Yeah, ditto. <laughs> All right. Well, nobody has anything else. We'll call it a night with that. Thank you for everyone for, for coming and uh, sharing all of your testimonies and experiences. It's been awesome. All right. Have a great week, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Mm -hmm.